Parshas Yisro. Our parsha largely consists of two sub-narratives. First, we have the story of Yisro himself, the Gertzedek, the righteous convert, who sacrificed everything, left his position as Kohen Midian, the minister of Midian, to join Klal Yisrael in the barren desert. And the story continues with Yisro not only joining Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people, but actively participating in the affairs of the Jewish people when he gives the advice as per the justice system, as per the Shoftim. That's narrative one. Then we have narrative two, which is Matan Torah, the most formative event in Yiddishkeit, the giving of the Torah. Now these two cobble together into one parsha. Yisro on one hand and Matan Torah on the other hand must be connected, must be inherently linked. And it seems to me that it is a nexus of Gerus. Just as in the former narrative, Yisro is a ger on an individual level, well, in the second narrative, Matan Torah, Chazal understand that the Jewish people as a nation were converting. So we have the Gerus of Yisro, the individual, and the Gerus of the Jewish people and nation enjoying together. And enjoying together for a very important thematic reason. We cannot deal with Matan Torah, the national gerus of the Jewish people, I would suggest, without an eye on Yisro, the model of the individual ger. Because when you look at a nation who converts, you kind of lose the story of the individual. You kind of don't give heart or mind to the fact that each of these 600,000 plus members of the Jewish people are not just cogs in a machine are not just part of a herd who are saying, yes, I do Nasa but they're people, they're individuals with lives, with baggage, with personality. And they too are bringing all of that to the Torah, bringing all of that to the bris with Hashem, being Moser Nefesh, just like Yisrael. You know what it has been said in the context of Halilam, mass murders and murderers, that the individuals just become a statistic. When you think in the hundreds and thousands and the millions of Halila killed people, we lose sight of the individual. They're just the statistic. Well, that's not only true about murders. That's true about anything. The individual is lost in the statistic. So when we learn about 600,000, or to be more accurate, approximately 2 million Jews accepting Torah, I would suggest that Yisro, who stands out as the individual gar, he kind of puts in perspective for us the individual commitment that lies within this Matan Torah. And this perspective that Yisro is serving as the shining light, the lighthouse to direct us to zero in and on the individual of Matan Torah. Well, this answers yet another question. One of the major opinions in Chazal is that Yisro actually only came after Matan Torah that actually there is a lack of chronology here in Yisro's story appearing before Matan Torah. And the question is, why would the Torah do that? Why would the Torah mention Yisro first? There must be some thematic reason or conceptual reason why it's doing this. Well, now we understand. Yisro is an important 
prelude to Matan Torah, even if in fact he came after, to truly appreciate the story of Matan Torah which follows, and to zero in on the individual with all the individual dynamics and, their ba- and the baggage of the person and how a person can take all of that themselves with all, all of their stuff and brings that all to Torah. Well, it's Yisro who has us focus on that, so Yisro must serve as the introductory text to Matan Torah here in a unified parsha. And to further solidify this perspective, that Yisro is not a freestanding narrative about an individual Gert Sadek, but is by design, by master design, woven into the Matan Torah story, I would like to trace a slew of textual connections between Yisro's Gerus as an individual and the Gerus of the Jewish people as a nation, and from the perspective of these myriad connection of connections, it will become very apparent that the Torah wants us to parallel and compare the two, Yisro on one side and the Jewish people as a nation on the other. For starters, both Yisro and the Jewish people come to Torah based on the same stimuli. Just as regarding the Jewish people, they come to Hashem based on Yitzias Mitzrayim. Atem Risam Mitzrayim. Hashem's overture to them is except the Torah, considering everything which you witnessed at Matan Torah, the miracles, the divine revelation. Well, Yisro comes to Torah based on the very same event. By He too converts them at Yitzias Mitzrayim. He too is going through this embrace of Torah based on Yitzhak Mitzrayim from his perspective as an individual. Moreover, just as we find concerning Klal Yisrael at Matan Torah, there are karbanos, there are olosuzvachim, sacrificed, as mentioned both in our parsha and Parshus Mishpatim. Well, likewise concerning Yisrael, we find a sacrifice of karbanos. When the Pasuk says, Vayikach Yisrael, Chosin Moshe, Olozvachim, he too sacrifices the very same offerings to mark his conversion. And a third parallel, textual parallel. Just as we find the Pasuk at Matan Torah, Vayotzi Moshe Esau, Moshe took the people out to Har Sinai. We find that same term about Moshe going out, Vayotzi Moshe, regarding Yisro, Vayetzi Mishnah Moshe Likras Chosno. Moshe went out to greet Yisro and invite him to join the people. Similar expression. And yet another parallel. We have, regarding the, the conversion story, the Matan Torah of the Jewish people, a story about not only Moshe, but Aaron and Nadav and Aviyu and the Zakanim. All of the leadership coming together, beholding the Shekhinah and eating and drinking. As a Pasuk at the end of Mishpatim, a somewhat enigmatic Pasuk says, Vayal Moshe va'aron Nadav Aviyu v'shiv mizikne Yisrael, they ate and they drank, the leadership of the people. Well, likewise, concerning Yisro, we have a su'uda, we have an eating scene where Moshe and Aaron join Yisro to break bread to celebrate his personal Matan Torah. Vayavo Aaron v'chozikne Yisro. Aaron, there's a kingdom, and as Rashi explains, Moshe as well, join Yisro lechalachem to eat bread. Parallel scene. And while you might quibble 
about a slight difference that in the Suda of Matan Torah, so to speak, the Vayochul Vayishtu seen at Matan Torah, there was not only Moshe Aaron, there's a Kena Nadav and Avihu as well. You might quibble, Nadav and Avihu do not appear in the Yisru story, but Nadav and Avihu also appear in the Yisru story if we insert Rashi's commentary into the picture. Because Rashi says earlier in the story, prior to this meal, when Moshe was going out to greet Yisro, Rashi says that Nadav and Avihu joined the entourage as well. So here we have all the same players who figure prominently at Matan Torah. Moshe, Aaron, Nadav, Avihu, the Zakanim, all of them appearing as well in the Yisro story, and both there's all a breaking bread scene. And a final parallel I will note, just as the Matan Torah of the Jewish people is then followed by the laws of judgment, following the Matan Torah of the Jewish people at the end of Yisro, we have Parshas Mishpatim, we have a justice system, a system of jurisprudence connected to the Matan Torah. Well, likewise, in the personal story of Yisrael, following his personal conversion, we have the process of the arrangement of the Shoftim. So again, all of these myriad of parallelisms between the Matan Torah of the Jewish people and Yisrael, as you amass them, the picture becomes a compelling one. The divine author of the story, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is seeking through so many echoes, reverberations between the two, to focus on us on the fact Yisro and the Matan Torah of the people. They are not two stories, they are one story. The national Geras, the individual Ger, and sing them both in unison, which is what Hashem wants here. And this perspective merging the story of Yisro and the Matan Torah of the Jewish people answers yet a final question. And that is a very troubling divergence between Pshat and Drash. And whenever we find the Pshat and the Drash in a, in a given verse seemingly so different from each other, well, it is always in that contrast, in the really the merging of the contrast between Pshat and the Drash of a verse, where an even richer Pusik and message emerges. Because let's have a look. Following the story of Yisro's conversion, when the Torah describes then his advice regarding the judges, it says as follows, Vayihimi macharas, it was the next morning. It was the morning after. The morning after. Now this means on a shot level, the morning after what was just described, the morning after Yisru's conversion, it was then Vayeshev Moshe Lishboda Sa'am Vayarchosi Moshe. It was the day after the above narrative, the day after Yisru's conversion that he sees, lo and behold, Moshe's judging the people in a, in by, from Yisru's perspective, an inefficient way. However, Rashi, on a level of drash, based on various midrasha computations, says, this pasuk Vayehimi Machras, it was the morning after, refers not to the morning after Yisro's conversion, but refers to the morning after Yom Kippur. Considering the fact that the Matan Torah of the Jewish people, which began on Shavuos, was ongoing through Yom Kippur, the Chet HaEgel aborted the Matan Torah process, Moshe broke the Luchos, and a second Luchos were necessary, which were only given on Yom Kippur. So the Matan Torah process, which is a prerequisite for Moshe to judge the people, has only come to its conclusion 
on Yom Kippur, therefore Rashi renders on a level of drash Vahimi Machras, or as the next morning is a reference to Yom Kippur, the Matan Torah process. And it's always so troubled me, this divergence between Pshat and Drash. It's so clear on a level of Pshat. Vahimi Machras was the morning after, it means the morning after the above story of Yisrael's conversion. And yet Drash is interpreting it to mean the morning after Yom Kippur and the Matan Torah process. But I'm going to suggest therein lies exactly the message of the author here, of the divine author here. The Rebona Sha'olam wants us to see Yisro's conversion as an individual and the Jewish people's Matan Torah experience from Shavuos through Yom Kippur. The Rebona Sha'olam wants us to see the two on two sides of the same screen, side by side, and wants there to almost be a fluctuating relationship between the two, that you can have a verse which on one level means the morning after Yisro's conversion, and on another level means the morning after the conclusion of the Jewish people's conversion, Shavuos through Matan Torah. It is read this way on both levels by master design. He wants us to see it that way. He wants this fluid relationship between the two stories in our parasha, Yisro, the individual, and the nation, because that is the entire message of the way our parasha, parasha, Yisro, is coming together with the very powerful concept that we began with, the Matan Torah, the national experience, needs to be seen through the prism of an individual. Because ultimately, a people consists of individuals with their own inner world, emotional reality, relationships, baggage, and we are accepting Torah as individuals just as is so clear in the Yisrael story. With this perspective firmly in place, seeing Yisrael, the person, as the model of Matan Torah, the model of the individual Jewish people at Matan Torah. I want to dig yet deeper. I want to understand Yisro's drive to convert. What is it which propels Yisro to convert? What is it which gives him the passion? What is it that impassions him? to make these huge commitments and thereby understand what all Matan Torah, what Matan Torah for each and every Jew is really about. If Yisro is a model, then it must be there is what to mine in the Yisro story that he represents how we all receive Torah. So let's understand Yisro that way. When we ask the question, what was it which brought Yisru to convert, and how does he, what does he inspire in all of us in our Matan Torahs? There's a certain contemporary ring to that question. Whenever there's a getter around, I always find people wondering, a getter, a they must have a big story. What was the great drama which drove them? And people are super curious. So what was the great drama behind the Yisru story? And the funny thing is, while Midrashim give all sorts of exciting background dramas, the Torah says surprisingly little. The Torah says, you know what brought Yisro? Vayishma Yisro. Yisro heard. Yisro heard what happened. He heard about the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That's it. Simply hearing about the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, that's what it took. It seems to me the simplicity of the Torah's narrative is what the Torah wants us to focus on precisely. You know what propels Yisrael? Simply hearing. 
by Yishmael, simply hearing about the Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim. That if one hears, if one's ears are opened, if one's eyes are opened, if one is conscious, then the, the inspiration will stimulate them. There are no big chachmas to matan Torah, to accepting Torah and making this commitment. The Rabona Sha'olam's revelation is just oh so compelling that if you simply hear it, you're going to follow along. What sets Yisrael apart from everyone else was not wisdom, was not charisma. You know what set Yisrael apart? Simply by Yishma Yisrael, he heard. His ears were open. He was open to be inspired. He was one of those people who still had that glimmer in his eye. He was excited about life. He was excited about what he heard. So many people don't really hear, or it doesn't really penetrate. When something inspiring happens, it doesn't touch them. They just seem to be jaded, jaded by life, anesthetized from feeling any sort of stimulation. So they hear, but they're not touched. And on some level, they're really not hearing. Their eardrums might be hearing, but they are not hearing with their heart. The magic of Yisrael is simply by Yishma Yisrael, Simply to hear, simply to approach life with an interest, with an openness, with a willingness to be touched and inspired. You know, so often, one hears a beautiful, magnificent Tvar Torah, which shows that the magnificence of Torah. One hears of a really touching story, and they're stirred by it, and they look around, and everyone else is just going about their own merry way and is untouched. There's something special to the Vayishma Yisrael, to simply being open to be touched, being open to being inspired, and never becoming jaded with life, never becoming jaded from inspiration, whether it's divine, the inspiration of divine revelation or simply being touched by the poignancy of life experiences and stories, and then acting upon it as he does. Vayishma Yisrael, and then he came. Vayavu Yisrael. And this is what the Torah wants us to take up from Yisro as an example. To, to be Makabal Torah properly as an individual, all you need is to simply be an open person, be a person who's listening, be a person who's interested, who's engaged, who's stimulated by life. Never become jaded, never lose that glimmer in your eye. And this, the power of this seemingly simplistic but actually very great trait of Yisro, Vayishma Yisro, that he heard that he was open to inspiration. And what sets him apart from everyone else is borne out very powerfully from a simple echo breathing through the text here. And that is the term Vayishma Yisro so resembles the words we find concerning the other people, the other nations of the world, who also heard about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the very same term in last week's parsha, Shamu Amim Yirgazan. The nations heard and trembled and said, oh boy, there's got to be divine retribution here, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That same term, hearing about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, it says about them, Shimu Amim. 
And it becomes so clear the Torah wants us to contrast the two. He's hearing, they're hearing. But there's a very different result. Yisrael hears and is drawn and is pulled along to join while the others hear and they tremble, they're repelled. The Torah wants us to compare and contrast it here and appreciate how two two groups of people, Yisrael versus everyone else, is hearing the same thing. But yet, the response is so different. Why? All based on the inner conditioning of the person. Yisrael hears and suddenly he is swept up with love and passion. I want to be part of it. While the others hear and their reaction is fright, trembling. Because Yisrael is conditioned with openness, receptivity, love. And if there's something beautiful, I want to be part of it. And the others are preconditioned with hostility, fear, negativity. And therefore, the way they internalize the Yitzhak Mitzrayim is very different. There's this god of retribution or something like that, and therefore they tremble from it. The Torah wants us, using the same language, hearing, hearing, in Yisra's case and the nation's case, the Torah wants us to place them again on two sides of the screen, Yisra and everyone else, and compare and contrast the magic of Yisra. It's all about hearing. But hearing is actually an art. The others do not hear properly, do not hear with an open mind, an open heart, receptivity, but carry all their baggage, all of their hostility and the like. And you know, my friends, as we develop and bring to life this Midah of Yisro and how as the model Ger, as the model Makabal Torah, he's in, he is inspiring within us all this Midah to be open, to be receptive, not to be jaded, never to lose the glimmer in your eye. We begin to think about a negative type, an inverse of Yisro, who's even more insidious than the nations who we discussed before who tremble. And that is, you have some people who, if it wasn't bad enough, not, are they, not only are they uninspired when they hear the most unbelievable things, when they are exposed to the most unbelievable Torah, Hashkacha Prata story, but some people not only are uninspired, they seek to make others uninspired. They seek to undermine a message. And there'll be a powerful drasha which will touch people, and they will immediately try to knock it down with some sort of stupid ridicule or something like that. Or people are stirred by a story and they'll immediately throw in, you know, skepticism, seeds of doubt, or, you know, it ain't such a big deal. Well, that very prototype of person, the underminer, he who sullies all inspiration, the antithesis of the Yisro, well, that too appears in our narrative. Because when you study Parshas Yisro, not only, not simply in isolation, but in context from a panoramic view, you appreciate what came immediately before Yisro and last week's Parsha. Last week's Parsha, immediately preceding our Parsha, ended with the attack of Amalek. Amalek attacked the Jewish people 
for one reason, and that was to sully the inspiration. The world was shaking and quaking from the Jewish people. We were on fire. And Amalek sought to show that we Jews were no longer untouchables. Because I'll famously compare Amalek to the man who jumps into the burning bath. There was this burning bath. And everyone trembled from the burning bath until one daredevil jumped in and was burnt, but he cooled off the water. So too, Amalek might have been killed in this battle with Claw Yisrael, but they have the effect that now people would see the Jewish people as touchables. People were no longer inspired by Jewish people, Judaism, Hashem. That is this prototype, this antithesis of Yisrael. And Chazal used a very pithy depiction of Amalek. The Medrash calls Amalek a lates, a scoffer. Amalek is called a lates because, not because of a particular joke, not because of a particular comedy, but in the entirety of their act. Attacking the Jewish people to cool off the bath was about scoffing, was about making ridicule, was about undermining the power of the inspiration. Just like the scoffer who makes the joke and thereby deflates something which was very exciting before. So it seems to me, sing Amalek this way, it's very powerful that Torah places the attack of Amalek, their reaction to Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim, seeking to undermine its effect. The Torah places that right side by side, immediately preceding the Yisro story. The Torah is doing that, again, by master design because it wants us to powerfully contrast Yisro and Amalek. Not simply that Amalek is anti-Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and Yisro is pro. Yisro responds positively if they respond negatively. Much deeper than that. What we developed in Yisro is Yisro is very meet of Ayishma Yisro being an inspired person, not being jaded. While Amalek is the exact opposite, they are seeking to make everyone jaded. They are elites and they are seeking to undermine. And this perspective that the, the juxtaposition of Amalek and Yisro is masterfully choreographed this way in the text in order that we contrast them. I would posit as further borne out in the Medrash. The Medrash in the beginning of this week's parasha discusses the bio of Yisro, and really some of the earlier chapters in Yisro's life. And it develops a story which we find elsewhere in Gemara and Medrash, which teaches that Yisro was actually called by Paro years before, by Paro and Mitzrayim, to be one of his advisors. He wanted to seek several people and nations' advice regarding his Jewish problem. How do I deal with these Jews? And Yisro was one of those who he summoned. The Medrash explains, why did he summon Yisro of all people, it says. Well, says the Medrash, he was calling on anti-Semites. He called on the nation of Amalek as well, says the Medrash. And it says he called on Yisro because Yisro as a Moabite, as a member of Moab, was an anti-Semite just like the Amalek. That here we have, amazingly, the Yisro Amalek connection creeping up again. Not only did their stories juxtapose each other in the 
connection between last week's Parsha and this week's last week's Parsha. But Yisro and Amalek were actually originally in the same basket. They were both seen as anti-Semites and called upon by Paro. Well, it is so provocative placing Yisro, who ultimately becomes the great Sadek, the lover of the Jewish people, in that same basket as Amalek. It's so provocative the Medrash is doing this. And one senses, yes, indeed, the Medrash is placing Yisro and Amalek on t- two sides of the same screen specifically to direct us to the contrast between the two. That we see what makes Yisrael great and what makes him capable of doing what other nations don't in response to Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's not upbringing or intelligence. Yisrael's background was as dark, as sordid as that of Amalek horrible anti-Semites. He was brought up that way. So that's not what's setting him apart. Realize what's setting him apart is what our parashas is, Vayishma Yisro. He heard and has pulled along drawn, unlike Amalek who seeks to undermine. He is excited by life. He's open to inspiration rather than the cynical scoffer, the late who is Amalek. And there's a final connection between Yisro and Amalek, which once we realize it jumps right off the page. And that is later in the Nevi'im, throughout the Nevi'im Rishonim, we find a, a group of people, a tribe of people called the Kani, descendants of Yisro. And we are taught again and again that they lived right on the side of the territory of Amalek. We find this again and again. For example, in Sefer Shmuel, when Shaul goes to wage a war with Amalek, he has to tell the Kani, the descendants of Yisrael, please leave the battlefield. You're too close, you're in the line of fire. That of all places, Yisrael's children settle right near Amalek, and that is so astounding, especially given all the accolades we give Yisrael. The Yisrael and family, the level to which we... Raise them. Well, ultimately, they're living side by side with Amalek, as though implying from a biological, genealogical, family of nations sort of perspective, Yisro and Amalek are not so far from each other. They have certain shared roots and ultimately geographical shared roots that maintain. Well, what am I supposed to get from that? Why is the Navi highlighting this truth, the geographical connection between Amalek and Yisro's family? Well, I think it is in line with the juxtaposition of last week's parsha, this week's parsha, what we trace before from the Medrash. We are supposed to see that, indeed, Yisro and Amalek are not so different when it comes to upbringing, when it comes to place in the family of nations. Uh Uh-uh, that is not what sets people apart. It's not upbringing. What sets people apart is attitude and the personal choices we make in attitude. Am I going to be an open person, a receptive person? Never losing the glimmer in the eye. Open to being inspired and stimulated. Or am I going to be a jaded person or even worse, a scoffing, cynical person who just writes things off? And putting all the pieces together, the way, developing the way we have tonight, we can truly embrace Yisro as the model of Matan Torah and appreciate the rich example he sets. There's a real message which Yisro carries 
as the opening figure in our parsha before we engage in the Matan Torah of our own at the end of the parsha. This is how we need to approach Torah, with that openness, with that receptivity, with that sense of innocence. I'm open, I'm innocent. I, 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 I'm, I'm not cynical. But you know, my friends, there's a final point which we need to wrestle with. Tonight's year and this presentation about Yisro and this idea of being a receptive person rather than a cynical person would be incomplete unless we raise a basic question on a conflict. Is it always appropriate to be open, innocent, rather than cynical, skeptical, and questioning? We know that the overly innocent type, who are easily inspired rather than doubtful, can be vulnerable to anything, can be malleable. They could drink the Kool-Aid. They could be lured by all sorts of people. That actually what makes the Jewish people special is our Gemara cup. Right? The fact that we are so skeptical, the fact that we argue about everything, the fact that we don't accept things easily. That's actually what makes our commitments meaningful, the fact that we don't make commitments very easily. The fact that any idea which is raised well, our colleagues in the base measures will try to shoot us down from every perspective. J- jarring as that is sometimes. But that's what ensures that we're not this naive people who just drink Kool-Aid. So we need to find some sort of balance between the Yisro model of openness to inspiration rather than being jaded versus the naive person who just accepts anything. Because that's certainly not a model we want to encourage. We want to encourage our children and ourselves to question the world. And, and, And somehow we need to find this healthy balance to be open to inspiration, not to shut things down, but to have a healthy dose of skepticism along with our openness. Apparently that's a balance which can be achieved for this Matan Torah, which we're developing in Yisrael, to be right, to happen. And I would like to believe, in light of everything we studied tonight, seeing Yisrael as the model of openness, that in the story of Yisrael itself, this issue of balance is dealt with. It must be there somewhere. It must be somewhere in the power of Yisrael as a model of openness. We find it laid out in front of us. Yes, open, but complemented by a healthy skepticism which does not become the sickness of cynicism. And it's actually right there in the story of Yisro, I'll pee the Medrash when we develop the Medrash and all of its beauty and grandeur. Let's, let's dig in and with this we'll complete tonight's share. The Medrash is talking about a Pusik and Mishlei. Which can be read to mean, strike the scoffer, strike the scoffer, and the fool will become cunning. The Pesi, the fool, Yarim, will become cunning when he sees the scoffer beat up. Says the Medrash, 
This is a reference to Yisro, Yisro, when he saw Amalek defeated by the Jewish people at the end of Parshas Peshalach. Amalek is the Leitz, is the scoffer, as we studied before. Leitz Takah, when the Leitz, when the scoffer Amalek was struck, Upesi Yarin, Yisro is the fool who then became cunning and smart. He joined the Jewish people. He saw the way Amalek was struck. He smartened, smartened up. The fool became cunning. He joined the Jewish people. We know that the battle of Amalek was one of Yisra's inspirations to join the Jewish people. Now, what does this Medrash really mean? And is it not particularly offensive to Yisra and the entire positive aura of Yisra, the fact that it calls Yisra a pesi, a fool, who only became cunning when he saw Amalek struck? What is the deeper meaning of that depiction anyway, calling Yisra a pesi, a fool? Well, I once heard a masterful insight from Avnachem Lansky Shlita. He said, to understand what a pesi is and why that expression, a pesi, a fool, and why it is applied to Yisro, we need to cross-reference it to the term pesi elsewhere in Tanakh. Well, we have a pasuk regarding a pesi, a fool. Pesi ya'amin davar. A fool is someone who believes everything they hear. A fool is the naive person who believes everything. You know, you believe every maisla you hear. Well, says Rav Nachalansky brilliantly, indeed that's Yisro. Because Rashi tells us in our parsha that Yisro tried out every Avodah in the world when he finally acknowledged Hashem and he said, Ati adati ki Hashem, he called him, now I know Hashem is greater than the other gods. Says Rashi, that's because he tried them all out. Now hold on. You try out every religion? I'm going to ask you a question. If you were looking amongst religions to find the true one, would you entertain every single one? Or are there some of them that are so off the mark that, I mean, come on. You know, there's two Harry Krishners. There's an Eastern Harry Krishner and a Western Harry Krishner. And you're going to try out both? And you're going to try out every, every crazy cult and every tribe? I mean, come on. Reasonable people will have a certain filter, a certain sieve, right? Which ones should be entertained. Well, says Rav Nachmanansky, we now understand why Yisro is called a pesi by Chazal, a pesi yam and b'chol Yisro had the smita of being gullible, believing everything. And therefore he's open to entertain, yeah, maybe, maybe, let me see what this Harry Christian or East is about him and the Harry Christian or West, and if they don't prove themselves, let me hear what that Jonestown group is about, or who knows what. And that's why Yisro had to become a more cunning person. Yisro had to see the battle with Amalek and the triumph of good over evil to learn to be discerning. Yeah, Hashem and Judaism is in a class of itself. Well, I'm going to take this explanation and develop it one step further. Tonight, in light of everything we developed about Yisro, we get it. We get why Yisro's Nisayin, why Yisro's initial difficulty is being a gullible fool. Because what was Yisro's Mita we developed tonight? Yisro's Mita is an openness, a receptivity. He's not a scoffer. He's not a cynic. Well, every Mita comes with its challenges until we achieve balance in life. Now it makes so much sense to me. Yisro, based on his whole Milo, based on his whole quality, that he's receptive and open. That's why he struggles with the issue of initially being a little too open, a little too gullible, almost malleable that anything can be impressionable, that anything can stir him. 
And that's not the way a, per, a Jew is supposed to be. We don't approach Torah that way. Yisro, somehow, when he saw the battle between Amalek and the Jewish people, and he saw how the scoffer was struck down, he saw there are some claims, cogently as they're said, which are wrong claims, and that's Amalek. Hashem is different. He, he, he learned to distinguish. He learned to make judgments. He became Yarim, a cunning person, and now he could receive Torah. So I'm going to suggest now that the whole story of Yisrael put together, with all of its richness and everything we developed, now we can see, now we can truly appreciate why Yisrael is the model of Matan Torah in our parish as we developed in the beginning of this year. To accept Torah, we can't be jaded. We have to be like Yisrael. We have to be open people, never lose the glimmer in our eye. And yet balanced with a healthy dose of skepticism, questioning. But somehow we could be questioning people and skeptical people, but not cynical or negative or scoffing people. You can have that glimmer in your eye and be excited about life and open to things and open to pursue new things. While at the same time, ask good critical questions, Gemara Cup questions. It is that balance that allows us to be Makabal Torah in a healthy, wholesome way. May we all every day be Makabal Torah this way, deeply engaged in life, open, open to inspiration, along with good judgment and discerning decision making, which is the mark of a Torah Jew. Thank you all very much. Any questions?